Welcome to the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast with Matthew Sardo. Take your sticky paws off me, you damn dirty ass. <laughs> Holy sh! They're actually monkeys fighting robots! You can follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots and on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. Make sure to download and review our podcast from iTunes and Stitcher. And now, here's your host, Matt. Welcome to the 103rd episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots. Today's episode is going to be jolly. EJ and I are talking about Office Christmas Party and our favorite Christmas films. Oh, giddy. I'm your host, Matthew Sardo. I'm also the co-founder of MonkeysFightingRobots.com. Joining me in the banter is my co-host, movie critic EJ Marino. Matt, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. We're talking about Christmas movies. It's that time of year where everyone has to talk about everything Christmas, and we're we're doing it. We're jumping the shark. <laughs> I, I live in Florida now, and I have no clue what season it is because it's not Christmas. Always one season. It's always one season in Florida. It's, it's Florida. It's not Christmas. I had to turn the air conditioner all the way down on the way home to, like, below 60 because it was kind of foggy and there was like a light glare from the from the lights on the road and that kind of reminded me of winter a little bit but still winter's coming in florida but like the diet winter that we get it's gonna get to like 50 degrees and we're gonna be like oh it's so cold and then it's gonna be 80 the next week yeah there's no way there's no way there's but i it's really tough to get into the christmas spirit and and the way the holiday season goes is like you have thanksgiving and then it's a mad dash to christmas and you're like Oh, it's over with. In Chicago, they turn on, like, summer ends and they turn it off and it and turns on the winter and then they drop a shit ton of snow on you and you, like, know, like, hey, fuckface, it's Christmas. Yeah, in Florida, you have to talk about Christmas movies to get Christmas time feelings. So that's probably why we're having to do this. Ah, uh, but there's there's some news that we got to talk about first before we get into the Christmas spirit or if we ever get into the Christmas spirit. Ah, oh, I'm going to be a Scrooge today. It's great. But no, Westworld ended this past week and i'm i'm not too sure how i feel about it that's kind of my same exact feeling i i like it but i don't understand how the movie i felt was such so simple clean and efficient and then the show just has to overcomplicate it i just feel like it's getting messy i don't really care about any of the people in the show which is kind of a bad thing but hey i got to see samurai world so all is forgiven i guess once william became the man in black wait, this is the guy I was rooting for, and now he's the villain. I guess that's a twist, but now I don't have anybody to root for in this universe anymore. I don't know how they're going to go into the next season. Like, is there going to be a redemption factor to the man in black that now all the robots are going to kill him? Because like, now it's like, I want him to die, but like he could be the guy who's just running around killing all the robots and surviving because you saw his grin at the end of it where he was like all excited that the shit had hit the fan. I don't think Anthony Hopkins is dead. Like, I think he, he, that was a robot. If he is dead, we're still going to see more of him. Either he's going to come back as a robot or they're going to do a bunch of flashbacks because that's how the show can work. So, yeah, we're, we're not done seeing Anthony Hopkins. You just don't bring him on for one season and then Sean beat him off the show and he's not there anymore. So he'll be back. Where do you go with the next season? I don't, there, I don't know. And that's, I think, probably my biggest concern is I just... I don't think I care about next season. Not that I don't care at all, but I don't know where to go. I don't have any feelings towards it. It's like, I guess I'll just see what they're going to do. And I don't, that's not a good feeling to go into a new season of show. 
there's going to be a delay with the show, so it might not come out until 2018. My brain will be totally on different something else by then. I liked what they were trying to accomplish as a written form of cinema where there was a big, massive twist and two different timelines because you really didn't get that until the end unless you were super smart. And there was a few people that did spoil it because I ended up spoiling it for a few people once I heard the theory. So I kind of fell flat for me because I was like, oh, yeah, now here's the twist. And it's like, oh, it's two different timelines and all that stuff. I appreciate what they were trying to do. They like tried to M. Night Shyamalan ding dong the whole entire thing. But with everybody being robots, you're not really attached to anybody. And since they can all come back after death anyway, death has death is meaningless. And then since they're trying to go for this lost thing, I have a feeling that they have no clue what the end is to begin with. So I don't trust them. You nailed every problem I had with it perfectly right there. I, I don't I don't know if I can say anything more because you said <laughs> Every issue I could probably even, I didn't even think of, you nailed it there. That was perfect. All right, let's go on to something that looked glorious this past week. The Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 trailer came out, and I want a 7K camera because I want all my films to look like that. Yeah, I'm not usually a fan of one of the Marvel Universe and these like super HD movies that were like, let's film humans and like 7K, and I'm like, People don't look good in that high quality, but I turned off my grump for the trailer, and I actually liked it. Um, okay, you got know with all the colors in the background and all the CG stuff, like being in seven K is taking it to another level. Yeah, I think for these are the movies Odyssey. you you these are the movies you do use seven K for. I've seen them wanted to film more like stripped back films, and I'm like, don't do that. Don't don't force humans to do it in a non CGI world. No, this is the perfect movie to use it, and I think that's why I like it. Because everything looked so glorious. The monsters look great. I don't know what the movie's about, and I like that. I you know, I try to stay away from spoilers, especially since I don't like this like franchise that much. And the trailer didn't spoil anything for me, so I was happy about that. And I'm the most cynical Marvel hater, but Baby Groot is the coolest thing in the world. I want ten of them. They're awesome. They're like, how can we sell a shit ton of toys? Like they're just that's it's and I know it, and I know it is like in the most cynical marketing strategy. But that's the way you do it: is you make people organically fall in love with him, and they did it. I, I've always loved Rocket and Groot's relationship from the comic books to their live-action version. I loved it here again, and I love that they did, also didn't like nerf Groot and make him like super weak. No, he's still a little badass, and I love that too. And I got to see something that you only kind of see in comic books, and it'll be interesting to see how it parlays into the film. But when Drax the Destroyer gets eaten by the monster, they have a shot of him inside trying to cut himself out because you always see it from the outside. You never see it from the inside. And I was like, this is completely hokey, corny, fun, but this is exactly what it looks like in the comic book, and I love it. No, they they did exactly what they did in the first one. Is they they make the seventies like campy, over the top, like you said, space odyssey films, and they really make modern versions of them. They they give me something to like as a niche exploitation fan, but they sell it to modern modern audiences. Guardians is always going to be the best franchise I think within the whole Marvel universe. They're they're solid. And like they, I turn off my cynicism for them, and that's hard to do. Well, we talked about that when we were on TM show uh, last week. He wanted to know how the Marvel Universe can carry itself. And I was like, you need to have more creative filmmakers involved in 
the process so you don't become cookie cutter, which they are right now. They're very cookie cutter. Doctor Strange, very cookie cutter. Uh, and I'm sure the the new ones are going to be a little bit more cookie cutter. But to maintain the tidal wave of MCU films, you're going to have to get more and more original with your filmmaking. And James Gunn is one of the few filmmakers that is kind of outside of that MCU box. And he just gets to do what he wants to do a little bit. You know, still the storytelling might tighten him in the reins. But as far as the filmmaking and visuals, he's all over the place. And, and that film Slither that he did, I love it. And you can always see a little bit of Slither in Guardians of the Galaxy. And that's what I appreciate because I feel like it's always been a complaint I've had with Marvel is they don't let filmmakers shine. They want their manufactured cookie cutter films. I don't knock them for that. Well, I do. But hey, you make money. It's successful. But I want to see artists shine. And that's what I've wanted to see when they, you know, when they had Edgar Wright for Ant-Man, but he left. They had Patty Jenkins for Thor too, but she left. Um, and so this is the, you know, I was nervous with James Gunn. Like, you know, I was with Scott Derrickson doing Doctor Strange, but no, James Gunn from First Guardians to what this looks like now, he has it. He's keeping him as like a horror director. He That's still there, but it's making just Marvel movies. And I, I appreciate it because he it's selling it to me. And they've these movies have never been sold for me. The Spider-Man Homecoming trailer comes out tomorrow. Any thoughts, expectations with that? You know, just going back to my Guardians thing, this that's this isn't sold for me. I saw this and I don't really understand it. I, I want to see the trailer. Maybe I'll like it more. But the teaser didn't grab me. Tom Holland didn't really like grab me. I think he's a good casting, but it really didn't like his performance in the full war. So we'll see. I think Tom Holland is a good Spider-Man. My biggest thing is that I need to figure out a way to mentally prepare myself that it's not my Spider-Man anymore. It's set for another generation of people for Spider-Man. I had my chance with Tobey Maguire's trilogy. Uh, I got one really good film out of it. This film that's coming out, Spider-Man Homecoming, is going to be a teenage drama in in the vein of all the teenage dramas that have ever come before and then with superpowers, and I just need to prepare myself that they are not going to care about the comic books at all and just go off in a different direction. Hopefully it's a good direction. Hopefully it'll be awesome and, and inspire a whole bunch of next generation of Spider-Man fans. But I need to, again, prepare myself and be like, listen, Matt, you're 40 now. You had your chance. You didn't get it. This is somebody else's Spider-Man. New segment, people. We are part of Blog Talk Radio now, and it's an amazing thing. We're going to play some commercial roulette. You may hear one, two, or no commercials at this juncture, and we appreciate your support of our sponsors. Up next is our office Christmas party review. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. 
Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000 square foot showroom is Court certified, guaranteed, and in stock. Ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Chandelier Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at Court Clearance Furniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. This movie has been on my calendar since I saw the first trailer because if there's one thing that I enjoy is a good party film. And then when you tie in the Christmas holidays, sprinkle in a little Chicago, I get a little nostalgic. And then that gives you Office Christmas Party, which should have been a raunchous debauchery of party Christmas excess. And it was... It it was everything you kind of said it was, but it didn't push it, at least for me, enough. It, it, it was just there. It was cool. It's a mediocre comedy. Office Christmas Party isn't the worst thing I've seen this year, but it's definitely not any anything new and inventive and it should have been looking back on all the Christmas movies that we're going to talk about today. This would have been a really good movie if they did a Christmas Carol version with office Christmas party where Jennifer Anderson's character was Scrooge. And then throughout the party, she saw Christmas past, present and future and then redeemed herself at the end. Like, that would have been something brilliant. You know, maybe we should cut that out of the podcast so we can make that movie and (laughs) sell that. Because that is way better than the, you know, the plot that we got for this. The plot wasn't the worst, but that right there is an awesome idea. And really, what could have elevated this as a story? Because the story is generic and just falls into tropes. That would have used tropes and cliches from the Scrooge uh, Christmas Carol thing that's been around since, like, the dawn of cinema and made it better. And yeah, that's that's a genius idea. That's what I was thinking. I was like, how, like, I've read other reviews that where, like, the film just doesn't have heart. And I was like, what would have given it heart? Because there really is no redemption to Jennifer Anderson's character. She's just bitchy through the whole movie. Yeah. And then it's just like, oh, I'm a nicey bitchy now. I'm not going to be as mean to my brother. And it's like, oh, okay. That was, that, was a, that was a full turn that you did there. No character. I don't think any character evolves in this at all. Um, I think Kate McKinnon's character, like, I, I don't think she evolved, but we got to see the the layers of this, like, uptight HR lady, too. She's just a closet freak and a weirdo. So that wasn't a crazy evolution, but I think that was great to see that progression. But it's Kate McKinnon. She really can't do any wrong right now. No, Kate McKinnon is amazing at what she does, and she brings awkward comedy to the table the best way possible. I thought I was very excited to see her in it. TJ Miller is growing on me. I used to think he was really annoying. I put him in the Seth Rogen category for me, but I think he offers something else besides Seth Rogen. I think Seth Rogen, we already know. Go watch the podcast where I just bashed Seth Rogen for a whole episode. But watching (laughs) Silicon Valley, I think TJ Miller has grown on me, and I like him. Olivia Munn, I'm not one of the haters of her because I do think that she's beautiful and she can just kind of be the nerdy tech person sort of i could kind of buy that almost not really (laughs) 
she she does it well. That's that's kind of her character, and she's made it her, and she's done it enough times now. Ah, uh, Jason Bateman is he just playing the same person over and over uh, and over again? I think that was the probably the biggest problem is Jason Bateman and Jennifer Anderson didn't need need to be in this movie unless it was that Scrooge plot you were talking about. Their characters were kind of useless in this. They just play the same characters that they've been playing. I'm a huge fan of Rob Cordray. He's uh, in Ballers. He was in Hot Tub Time Machine. I think it was in both of them. Um, he's so ridiculous. I, he's I, ridiculous. He's and I I want also, the, my other film that I made in my head was if they just put like a GoPro cam on his head and it was just the party. It was Cloverfield from his point of view. Like that was what I wanted to see. Yeah, it's just Project X with, X with adults. And that's actually what we really need. Ah. <sighs> And then the security guard, like there were characters that I wanted to see more of. And their then... supporting their supporting cast was so strong that it made their like four made lead, leads not look that great. No, no, they were. Uh, and then Jillian Bell, like I've seen her in a lot of things. Like she's, I don't know what it is about her, but I like her. Uh, yeah, I I first saw her on the show Workaholics. It's a Comedy Central like stoner comedy. She's hilarious and that steals the show and then she was in uh 21 jump street 2 or, or 22 jump street whatever that stupid sequel was and she was like the villain in that <laughs> and kind of played a role like that in this and god she's so amazing and she she's one of my favorites that i look forward to as soon as i saw that she was in this movie it was another like damn this cast is so strong i just got really depressed the writer of this film justin malin he it was announced to be writing Sherlock Holmes 3. Oh, boy. I was like, are you kidding me? Come on. That's but this move, movie also had like four different writers to it. It's one of these like too many hands are in this pot right now. Yeah, it had two directors. Looks like six writers. Josh Gordon, what has he done? He did Blades of Glory. They they work with a lot of the same people, um, yeah. the two directors of this. So they have their kind of their little camp that they work with. And I do think this was a better film than the two that they've given before, which was Blades of Glory and The Switch. Um, but th this is like a slow progression with them. And I'm like, you guys could be doing way better. They had the cast that was there. Man, they had Courtney B. Vance, who just came off The People versus O.J. Simpson. That was a phenomenal like 10 out of 10 piece. And then he's in here and I'm like, oh, he's not going to be funny. And he's one of the funniest people in this movie. With this movie just getting mediocre reviews, how do you see it parlaying in the box office? You know, the the reviews aren't strong, but I said this in my review. The theater that we, we were in loved this movie. They laughed at every joke that was thrown at them, and they groaned at every gross joke, and they said ill like they they fed into it so we're going off that reaction i really think this is going to make money may not be a big critical smash hit but i think this is going to do pretty well and there's really nothing else like this right now well you got bad santa too which was which was bad which was continues the year of the nutsack and then this film as well continues the year of the nutsack Bad Santa 2 is only made $14 million on a $26 million budget. So it opening weekend was $6 million. So it really didn't have office Christmas party really doesn't have to do much to break that. I went in two drinks 
actually four drinks deep into this movie because I knew what I was trying to do. Oh, for oh this. you smelled like you were four drinks into it. I didn't smell. Okay, you had a you had a you had a nice alcohol breath. It it felt like we were in we were in party mode. I was in party mode, and I was kind of upset when my buddy Max, like I met him at the bar. I was like, "What are you drinking?" He's like, "Sprite, keeping it keeping it mellow today." I was like. We're going to see Hoffman's Christmas party. How do you not want to get drunk for this, man? Come on. And I love when the bars have like, they're like, oh, the, the well drinks are buy one, get one free. And I was like, well, just give me a double tall then. Just, just put all the alcohol in one glass and sprinkle some, even wave ginger ale over top of my scotch. Like, That's the way to go. And I was ready to go for this film. Everybody was wearing Christmas hats and there was some party vibe in the, in the, in the audience. And there are tons of good jokes. Like, I put this as a solid stand-up routine the same way I, I talked about Bad Santa. Bad Santa 2 was a solid stand-up routine by all the characters in there. But overall, both stories had no heart whatsoever. And you walk out of the theater, and I said some good thing. I said the movie was fun, and it didn't need to go as far as Bad Santa 2. Because I thought that Bad Santa 2 went too far into the raunch and the botry with no plot and no heart. Where this, I thought, played the line perfectly as far as the raunch and stuff like that. I still don't need to see Nutsacks. Again, 2017, please, no Nutsacks. That's all I ask. I've seen so many. And, like, I've seen so much full frontal male nudity in film. And I just was like, that that's it? Are we still saying ill at this? Like, it's a its a penis, people. Just calm. I don't, I don't know why this is a visual gag. And, hey, I, I will trump your nutsack of the year with, I'm tired of fart jokes. This is the second Kate McKinnon fart joke in a 2016 movie. The first one was in Ghostbusters, and then there was one in this one. And I was just like, really? This is what we're doing? Man, like, the bloopers of her fart joke were better than the actual fart joke in the movie. <laughs> Well, you know, it's not called dick and fart jokes if you don't have one or the other. Yeah, but but why? But why are they still here? It was just, it, it was just lazy, and that's kind of how I felt. I said, you know, the movie's just kind of simple, and not in a good or bad way. It's just it's just there. It exists, and you know, kind of going in and looking at all these other Christmas movies like we were. This just doesn't kind of live up to the other ones, I think. It's not a horrible movie, but putting it out of the next to like other Christmas comedies, it's not there. All right, let's close out the review on this. Do you think it's a Trump America film? Oh no, I don't I don't I don't think it's that bad. Is it it's, is it it's... going to the lowest common denominator? That's, no, is it gonna I, I, win I, the electoral college? <laughs> it, it doesn't win electoral college, but it's not a popular vote. It's like a Gary Johnson third party <laughs> win. But no, it, it's it's just there. And I don't think None of the jokes were too offensive or too lazy like that. It just they just weren't the the forward thought provoking jokes that I think comedy films can be doing. And yeah, so it's like a it's like a good six out of ten, five out of ten. It's not the worst, but it's there. It exists. Last night I had fun with the film. This morning, my brain had left the film already. That's that's sobering how sobering up. Sobering up sober, does that not, to this movie. Not sobering up, <laughs> but I'm just saying that it doesn't doesn't hold with you like the other films do. Maybe if we watch them as many times as I've watched National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, maybe it'll come back and have some good lines in it. Because I think, I think the film does have a few moments in it. Like, I love that Game of Thrones scene at the, in the middle, at the three-quarters part. Like, that one visual scene right there, whoever put that together, they should have been in charge of the whole entire movie. Because if you look at how that set was set up with the baby that they rented, 
the Game of Thrones scene and then the, the Christmas light on his head and then just the way all the women in the crowd were placed around him. It's perfect cinema. I have this picture, if you want to see it, on my Twitter account right now. And I will put it below in this podcast and you can comment on this great piece of cinema that was only 10 seconds in the film. The rest of it is brainless fun that you'll enjoy, but you'll wake up the next morning being like, did I go to the movies last night? Yeah, I would watch this again, but definitely know I need to be a little bit drunker to watch this again. Let's transition into what makes a Christmas film. Or how do we call it? Can we just say Christmas? Do we have to be PC? It's Trump America now. Yeah, no, we don't have to be PC because, you know, to kind of get into a bigger like thing, there's not really many Jewish films or, you know, there what Eight Crazy Nights, which is a great holiday film. It's a great like Hanukkah film, but they don't have enough. So this is a Christmas genre thing. You know, <laughs> they're they're a big thing. What qualifies a Christmas film for you? I think it will obviously needs to be set around Christmas time, which is something I kind of struggled with putting A Nightmare Before Christmas into like any of this list for me because I'm like, that's a Halloween movie than more than a Christmas movie. So to make it Christmas, I need that Christmas time December feeling. And it just needs to just kind of have that whole that whole time period and that whole essence of the holiday season there it doesn't need to be any certain genre to me it could be action it could be horror it could be comedy it could be animated it could be anything it just needs to be christmas feeling there's something about the jingling bells in a film that's like oh we're in a christmas film now and you just settle in yeah, it, 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 there, there's something magical about them. It, like I said, any genre there is, you hear that one like kind of like, here comes Santa Claus jingling or any of those Christmas carols sprinkled throughout a soundtrack. It's in all of them ever, from Krampus to Scrooge to Elf to Black Christmas. They're always there. They're always there, and I love it. So, yeah, I will say that needs to be there. It's a good Christmas score as well. <laughs> Our lists that we kind of put together of Christmas films that we kind of want to chat about or peruse were kind of all over the place. You have a little bit darker stuff, sort of, but not really, because, I mean, you have some more animated things than I do. But the animated stuff I do have is a little bit darker sometimes. Right. But we can just, let's just jump into it. Like, you have a year without Santa Claus and you have a nightmare before Christmas. And nightmare before Christmas, I guess. Is that dark? No, it's not. It's 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 like kind of that gothic feeling, but no, it's not like this dark brooding film. Like like you know, another one on my list, like Black Christmas. Like that's a dark movie. Yes, that's a dark movie. But like, I think the lightest film I have is Elf on mine. Yeah, and that is probably the fam- most family friendly, easygoing one you have. You know, maybe Ernest Hates Christmas or some of the other ones you have. But no, I think Elf is definitely the lightest. And then you have Bad Santa on the other end where it's like, oh, I can enjoy a Christmas film that is just raunchy but has a decent story. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I was just kind of saying with the genre is like even within comedy, you have the elf comedy and then you have the bad Santa comedy. So it's crazy how much Christmas movies can encompass. And you've never seen a Christmas story. I have never seen a Christmas story. I 
I just, I know, I know I'm not going to fall in love with it. And unfortunately I was born after it was already made. So I, it was already part of the pop culture zeitgeist. I already knew what leg lamps were. I already knew that his, his tongue got stuck to the pole. So like all these crazy iconic moments have been like shown and replayed enough that I'm like, well, do I need to see the rest of the movie? So I've kind of made it a promise this year that I'm going to try to watch it and finally get it out of the way. The film preys on your darkest fears of family and Christmas. Like, and I never knew it was that dark. <laughs> like the kid is always afraid of getting beaten to death by his dad. Like it's just, he's, he's hiding. Like he, and I think the the little brother is hiding as well. Like, in the cabinets in the kitchen. And the mom goes, what are you doing? He's like, I'm hiding because dad's going to kill Ralphie. Like, it's just like, it's all those like 50s, that nuclear family where it's two kids, a dog, and a fan. And then the, the dad really doesn't talk and he's the enforcer. And then the mom's kind of the more tender, caring person of it. Like, it's, it's that stereotype played up to the umpteenth degree. And I think it does also make fun of the stereotypical things of Christmas, like going to see Santa, the mall and the commercialization of the holiday. And then it breaks it all down to just being with family at the end. I think that's what's awesome. But it also has like schoolyards issues that were, it preys on those fears that you had as a kid. Like that's the double dog Daria scene with the, with the pipe and, and putting your tongue on the pipe because like, what do I do? Like I said, I dare you. And he's like, well, you know, and then I double dog dare you. Like, oh shit, I got to do something. I double dog, triple dare you. And you're like, fuck, I have to do it. But you're a kid at that point in time. You like, don't realize that like, you don't have like, no, I'm just going to walk away, dude. I'm cool. You know, like it's that peer pressure as a, as a small kid. And that's what leads to that scene. And I think every kid can kind of relate to that at some level. I don't know. You're kind of a robot, you know, who knows? No, I'm not a robot. I just these things just kind of don't hit me as they do. But I always kind of lump this in since I, you know, me, I'm definitely one to judge a book, you know, by its cover. I admit that all the time. So I kind of lump this into more of Christmas vacation kind of like kind of haha comedy where this seems more like a like a dark comedy parody of the of like you said of all these Christmas time things and that kind of you explaining it to me sold me more <laughs> than any of the pop culture moments that have ever been shown so yeah you definitely sold me on actually trying to watch it and it plays for 24 hours on TBS so I might as well I'll, fi- I'll find it somewhere and it's I think it's the first film that made Santa creepy to me See, that's how I feel about The Year Without a Santa Claus, the animated movie, because he's grumpy and he's mean in that movie and he just cancels Christmas because he's done with it. And I'm like, wow, that that seems like something you would do, Santa. Like, yeah, so I started having beef with him there. Why is Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, a good Christmas film to you? I and I, I struggle with this one because I, I do think the first one is associated with Christmas more. But something about the New York setting and New York is such an iconic Christmas time place, you know, with the all like the toy shops and the trees and just all the cameos that were in this movie. I think this really embodies what I think the commercialization of Christmas is. And I think it's kind of fun with that. And I, they brought back Joe Pesci. Just I like Home Alone 2 way more than the first one. And Donald Trump's in it. I think it's his first film role. Yeah, and I think that's such a funny moment that like that's kind of been played as like a meme this year. But yeah, that's such a funny thing that like that was such a big moment in that movie. I can relate to you about what you're talking about with the commercialization of Christmas in New York because I grew up in upstate New York and I always dreamed about going to FAO Schwartz toy store in New York 
because I've heard about it. It was in the movie Big. I was like, this is the toy mecca. Little did I know later on in life that the toy mecca is now like Amazon or eBay, and you can just get everything at the fingertips. But before, growing up in the suburbs, if your local stores didn't have it, you just didn't get it. So the only place that was remotely close to being able to get stuff was going to like the Toys R Us in Paramus or going to FAO Swartz in the city because they would have everything. Yeah, and see, I grew up in Florida where we've never had a toy store this big. So I would have the same kind of fantasy of you, but even further away that you lived in upstate, I lived in Florida. So I'm like, oh man, I think that's so cool. I would love to go there. I want to, you know, play, there's a roller coaster in this place. Like just the whole idea of it was this crazy thing. And I think Home Alone 2 really gave me that feeling of like, I would do this too. You give me a credit card and I can stay in New York and like order pizzas and like run that hotel for a little bit. I love it. And I think that kind of has that perfect fantasy Christmas element as well. In 1995, I worked at a video store in upstate New York in my freshman year of college. It was called Movies with two O's. And we had like a cow symbol and there was some sort of like cowish coloring going on in the video Sounds store. Sounds like from a Kevin Smith movie. Ah, uh, yeah, it was it was so bad. But one of the films that I played all the time at the video store, so you could only play like I don't know what the rules, what the corporate rules were at the time, was this film called Mixed Nuts. And for some reason, it hit my funny bone in the just right place, and I loved it. It stars Steve Martin. It's one of Adam Sandler's like first films. It's a crazy, crazy, crazy film. And then I'm looking back on it, and I was reading at Wikipedia. It was a critical and commercial failure and has been since listed as one of the worst films ever made. And I love it. <laughs> I'm a known person to hunt those worst films ever and go through it and watch it and fall in love with it. And I've never heard of <laughs> even seen of Mixed Nuts before. And I'm upset because the way you describe this plot that they work at like the suicide hotline on Christmas Eve. And I'm like, what? Why, why? Why have I not seen this before? Yeah, they were. Uh, Steve Martin is the head of the suicide prevention hotline called Lifesavers. And there's also a serial killer on the loose in, I think they're in L.A. That's where it is. It's it's definitely not in any snowy part of the world. And so I think it's set in L.A.-ish area. So you got the hotline where people are trying to kill themselves. And the crazy people that work at a suicide prevention hotline on Christmas or Christmas Eve and then all the shenanigans that go on. And then Adam Sandler doesn't really say anything. And early on, Adam Sandler, I guess was in shape. So he was always running around in like a tank top and like flexing. Uh, I guess he was kind of considered a, a sex symbol at that point in time, but he's always playing like a mandolin in the background, like just crazy, just a lot of crazy stuff going on with this film. And, and it, again, it just hit my funny bone the right way. So if, if you want something a little off color of the traditional Christmas film, and it's like I said, it's considered the one of the worst films ever made, but I enjoy it. It's called Mixed Nuts. Steve Martin. Check it out. Yeah, that definitely made my list this year, and I hope – I don't know if any of mine did. I don't know if – have you seen the original Black Christmas? I have not seen the original Black Christmas. I know you're not a fan of like the genre, but I think that's such a fun Christmas time. And man, they had like a, a really weird mid-2000s remake of it that I fell in love with. I One of my favorite ones. And that, that's, an, that's kind of my off-kilter. If you want to watch something not so traditional for Christmas, definitely check that one out. That's a, 
And it, it's so funny because it came out the same year, the year without a Santa Claus came out. So it's like, oh, I like this cute animated movie about grumpy Santa Claus. And then it's like, here's a one about a slasher who like hunts like a sorority house because it's Christmas Eve. It's dark. <laughs> Like really dark. There's like an incest subplot. Like it gets to one of these like I can't believe that like this movie exists and it came before Halloween. So I to me it's one of the original holiday slashers that ended up becoming a big thing with uh Friday thirteenth, Halloween, my bloody Valentine. There's so many after and Black Christmas is really the first one. What is it with the I'm looking at a photo right now and the girl's holding the phone and it's it's verbatim like the scream phone like that trope what is that trope with the phone in horror films that they they just love like who's there what's going on yeah because especially like even going to the more the 70s like the calls coming from in this the inside the house feeling i love that trope of like horror films and that that corded phone like i think once phones went cordless we lost that feeling margot kidder is in this film yes she is it's one of her like really really early roles too Ah, uh, Lois Lane. I had a crush on Margot Kidder. And then she showed up in the latest Indiana Jones and was crazy. <sighs> yeah, that that's a that's a crazy story there. But yeah, and, and to see she's I think a little younger in Black Christmas than she was in Superman. So she's even cuter than I think she was as Lois Lane. That's a good point. That's a good point. I'm gonna have to watch. I'm gonna have to watch Black Christmas. This is this is interesting because of like the Wikipedia list doesn't list every Christmas film because it doesn't include like the TV ones. Cause there was that whole like seventies Rudolph realm where they just kept producing tons of that stuff. Yeah. That whole era was like Hanna-Barbera era anyway. So yeah, that, that, that was filled with it, but those really never made it to the box office. So they really don't get that theatrical release title. Cause I loved all the Rudolph ones. Cause the Rudolph, films like that i love that stop motion animation like it's, it's i love the, the animation but i grew up thinking rudolph was a movie about super racism like they really hated rudolph and the little elf Hermie was so gay and i'm like this movie's really mean <laughs> like this is like that that's trump america kind of movie but that's what i mean the world is mean <laughs> it world. is but like i guess sometimes like if i'm going to be mean just embrace the mean that movie was just kind of like subtly mean so i've always had this weird thing about rudolph but god i can't even think of anything from frosty i can't think of any of the plot points i think rudolph really is the king of those stop motion christmas movies well the plot point for frosty is just get him where it's not cold because he's gonna melt like it's a is very that, it's is a, that the whole movie the whole because at least Rudolph had the Island of the Misfit toys, and then they had Bumble, the big like the big snowman guy. There's so many of them. No, Rudolph. I mean, uh, Frosty Snowman's just trying not to die. <laughs> Maybe I should watch that one. That like saw plot of a film. It's just like, just trying not to melt, guys. <laughs> a hobo's Christmas. Weird. What is it? Oh, family adult Christmas films? List of made-for-television and direct-to-video Christmas films. This is, Wikipedia needs to kind of, like, fix their list because it's bizarre. Well, if you go to, like, IMBD, they have really good lists because I think they kind of encompass, like, all of the stuff that we've talked about, like, all the different genres, like the Rudolph films. And that's what's hard because we talked about at the top of the, the, the segment is these are really, really big blanket genre films like christmas movies is not just 
a comedy or a kid-friendly friendly thing, there's so much to it. And I think that's what I kind of like about the genre more and more as I, like, think about it. Yeah, it's all over the place. I mean, because if you think of, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Jingle All the Way, like, that's just a insane film. Like, but now as, you know, you haven't gotten into it as a parent, but I was, I grew up in, like, I was a kid in 96, so I made my mom go get those Power Rangers figures. You haven't got to do that as a parent yet. So I'm very intrigued when, like, Alice starts demanding the newest toy, and then you have to do the jingle all the way plot. That's called Amazon. Beep-boop, beep-boop. <laughs> oh, God. Beep-boop, beep-boop. Yeah, we did just bring that up. That, that whole concept is gone. Oh, that's sad. Is there a film that you have to watch every Christmas? Like, you it yes. just has to, like, you don't, maybe you not necessarily go look for it but like you know what i always eventually watch it before christmas um christmas vacation is one of them i think that's one of my all-time favorites i really like that vacation franchise um and home alones both of them i think that's epitome but if i really had to do one i have to have to watch if i had to cancel all the rest of them it's gremlins gremlins is my all-time favorite christmas movie i haven't watched that in a while i should i should put that in the rotation and check it out because It'll be interesting to see how that, how the special effects hold up over time. Um, and then to see how, because I went and saw that in the theaters as a kid. And my dad uh, got really mad at this film. And I think he walked out of the theater because everybody was laughing at people dying. And he just didn't understand. Like, we thought we were going to see a Christmas film. And he's just like, he just gets up and leave. And, and I was just like, hey, dad, why'd you leave? He's like, Everybody was laughing at people dying. And I was like, I mean, it was gizmo saving the day. Like I was as cuz I was a kid, like I had a gizmo, I had some gremlins, like that's when I was, you know, your age. That was that was my jingle all the way moment right there. Um so it was it was bizarre how, you know, two different people had two different feelings on it and and now maybe as an adult I'll see it more as a horror film than I would see it as like an action adventure gizmo story. Oh, and it totally is, I think, more of a horror film than anything else. I think it's so dark. You know, there's there's a lot of murder. They, like, make some girl fly up, like, some older woman fly up her, like, staircase and out the window. There's some brutal deaths in this film. And I think A Christmas Story is probably the first, we talked about it, the first film to get really dark about Christmas time but still be family friendly. But Gremlins took it to a whole different level. And that's what I think I appreciate it the most about it is it's so subversive and it's so dark and so weird but still marketed to the mass audiences where like a movie like krampus last year was a really dark subversive fun family film but was it family was it family friendly yeah it it really does remind me of like joe joe dante films it it doesn't get too gory doesn't get too graphic the effects are super cartoony so yeah krampus is kind of another gremlins to me i think it's the closest thing to gremlins where it mixes that deep horror feeling but still kind of sellable yeah, but I don't think Krampus made nearly as much money as Gremlins did. No, but it made that it made a really big cult impact. I will say Krampus I thought was gonna like kind of go under the radar, but no, that was a really big film for that director. And after Trick or Treat, I was like, you have to do another holiday. And Krampus was a great one for him, but it doesn't trump what I feel Gremlins was. Gremlins is the epitome of what I look for in Christmas movies. Wow, Joe Dante has made a lot of films that I love. Oh, Joe Dante is a hell of a director. Because the explorers are okay, but Inner Space is an amazing film. 
And then the Burbs. Oh my God. Like I remember going to a theater to go see the Burbs and that was just a bizarre, you're like, Oh, I'm going to go see a Tom Hanks film. And I'm just like, it's just a weird, bizarre it's film. It's weird, yeah. And then I love Small Soldiers. I thought that Small Soldiers was like it was a live action toy story of battles and stuff. It could have been. I mean, it was a kid's film, but I mean, like I was like, oh, this is amazing. And it was 1998. My friends were like, dude, you should just be like drinking and having fun. But you want to take us to a to a cartoon movie. Oh, man, I loved Toy Soldier. I, I really think he stands out as a director who does take these like family movies like like small like small soldiers and what he did with gremlins and subverts that genre and really makes these kids movies really dark and really weird in a different way and i really appreciate that and i don't think any film on our both our list hits what i think gremlins does for that well no last week we established that the other joe uh joe johnson he makes aggressive family films <laughs> aggressive family films so maybe so joe, now... joe dante jr is in the aggressive family film category <laughs> yep yep uh, we have two people now in our made-up subgenre of aggressive family films uh the howling man that movie scared the shit out of me as a kid but see, and the Howling is kind of what I would say with Krampus is like the Howling is a scary movie, but it's not on par with like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I don't think it's this like horrific graphic piece that like children will run from. I think the Howling would engage people, and I think that's what he does very well. But for me, I was a kid. I was a tiny kid, and then werewolves. Like I didn't even like go into the slasher category as a kid, but like. You could find the howling like on regular television cut up in a fan in an appropriate version and you'd still yeah. get the transformation. They wouldn't they would take out the nudity and they might take out some of the violence, but you'd still get the werewolf transformation and I'd be like, "And I'm going to die tonight in my sleep." Yeah, but that's that's a hard thing to do is make a film that that's still that scary but still that sellable. And I really I appreciate that as like a a filmmaker and a film fan is how do you sell to the highest audience and still make these dark movies? And that's something I think I wanted from Office Christmas Party to go back to that is we're gonna sell it to a big mass amount of people, but we should do something smarter. And you know, go, going back to like Gremlins and Joe Dante, that's what I'm missing with Office Christmas Party is you don't have that memorabilia that like or the the memorableness of Gremlins. No, it doesn't. Well, that just goes down to writing. The script was bad. Yeah, and, and that's why I keep calling it more of a stand-up routine because you're hitting me with jokes and I'm laughing. But as far as an overall plot, there was nobody, like I said, nobody, there was nobody that evolved as a character, that nobody that went through a hero's journey that you love, you know, I know how you love the hero's journey, but like you kind of need that for a film. You need to go on a journey and, and there was none here and it was unmemorable here. And then going, closing out the Christmas segment for 2016, I think the like, snarky play now it's gaining traction is like die hard is the best christmas film i kind of find that annoying i i i do find it's very interesting that it's a big thing because i think everyone's kind of been like yeah it's a fucking christmas movie i think we all knew it already and now it's this like you said it's just like oh it is the greatest christmas movie ever and like yeah it's probably the if you're gonna break it down it's probably the best made and best like well-received movie about Christmas time, but come on guys, really like that. That's one that I will admit it, it's very Christmassy, 
But is it the Christmas movie that defines Christmas movie? No, it's not. It's a Wonderful Life or a Christmas Story or even Elf. Like it, it's Die Hard, guys. It's Die yeah, Hard. Yeah, no, no, because Die Hard for me, like the the going to the Christmas whole thing, like kind of makes you want to be a better person. Like even Bad Santa, as raunchy as it is, the the goal here is to kind of be a better person at the end. Even yeah. if it's just like I'm not going to trip this kid today. I'm out because it's Christmas. I won't trip the kid, but January 1st, I'm going to go back to tripping him. You know, it's, it's, even if it's the smallest amount of things, you know, because I lethal, because honestly, like I would put lethal weapon above die hard because I think that's an awesome action movie and it's set at Christmas. So, I mean, there's that battle as well. I saw that less than zero. It was at Christmas time. And, and honestly, the way they write it up at Wikipedia, college freshman returns home at Christmas to find all his high school friends take drugs. Yeah, if you if you take away what you think you know about Lesson Zero and go back to like the bare minimum of plot, that's more of a Christmas movie to me than Die Hard is. That's just about a Christmas office party, but vaguely about a Christmas office. Like, yeah, yeah it, it's 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 weird that that's become a big thing. I will always say, yeah, it's a Christmas movie, but the best of all time, nah. I think you have way too much competition from actual authentic Christmas films. And I think Scrooged, if you look at, is a perfect example of what the '80s represented. Like Scrooge, Bill Murray. Everything about TV and mass consumption. and It's like the Reaganomics era film. Yeah. I was looking at this list, like trying to see like what was that film for every other, you know, decade. And I don't think we're getting those. And maybe Office Christmas Party is this decade's version of a Christmas movie because it is kind of just laissez-faire. It is, but like you, that the plot that you talked about with Jennifer Aniston playing that Scrooge character really would have made it a stronger case for that argument because we don't have something like Scrooge again that really says this is our time period, this is what Christmas is like now, or even A Christmas Story did that very well of kind of encapsulating that 50s, like you said, perfect nuclear family. So yeah, I think we need that again because we've been missing that for a while. No, but what I'm saying is that like the filmmaking, like Hollywood filmmaking world is kind of shitty right now well, yeah obviously i mean there are good films coming up you know there's a lot of cool things going on netflix there there's lots of creation going on but the corporate filmmaking world gives you office christmas party yeah and and that's that's sad that that's all that really has to offer is what office christmas party was where we just went through you know, 20 minutes almost of awesome Christmas movies that really stuck with us and encapsulated times where this is like, eh, yeah, this is just what we're getting now. And we've kind of just easily accepted that this is what it is. And I'm like, no, we can be better. We just need better writers. We do. We need better writers and directors who aren't scared to like not make the movie that came before them. Well, next week, is going to be another polarizing topic because I don't know exactly where I stand on the walking dead, but the mid season finale is quickly upon us. And that is what we're going to talk about next week. I'm excited because uh, we haven't really talked about it in a while. And I have some feelings about the walking dead that I haven't felt in a while. Wait, where are the, where are those feelings located on the bear? Can you show me on the teddy bear where those feelings are? It's, 
it's it's in it's near my butt because the show's a pain in my ass. Oh, I, I did enjoy this week's episode. I thought it was I thought it was good. I, I like Negan as a character. I don't know where I'm gonna stand on that, but I like I thought that this because this week's episode was basically part one of the two part season mid season finale of it. Uh, it wasn't a complete episode, so I, I it'll be interesting to see how they close it out. I'm excited for it. Rogue One is next week. We're not sure when we're actually going to podcast about Rogue One, but hopefully it'll be sooner than later, depending on when we see the film. Because Well, no matter what, people are going to be talking about Rogue One for months anyway, so we could do this podcast in a month for Rogue One, and people are still going to be crazy about it. I need hopefully, you to I need, I need you to stop being such a Debbie Downer on Rogue One. I just know. I just I know it's Star Wars. It's I'm interested to but see. But it's not this, Star Wars. It's Star Wars, but it's not Star Wars. We'll see after the movie if how much unlike Star Wars it is. I'm hoping it's not the typical Star Wars film, because while they are good, I've seen them enough times now. I want to see I hope this is as different as it's been promoted to be. Garth Edwards. Come on, yeah. man. Oh, man. I'm a big supporter of Godzilla and the monsters he did before. I love this director. I have faith in him. I don't have faith in the company. <sighs> but what if they gave you money to make a film? Would you have faith in them then? Um, it depends on how, how our business meetings go. It depends on if I'm going to have to Edgar write this shit and be like, that's cool. Bye. I hate you guys. Because I, I support artists who do that more. And I really hope that Gareth Edwards got to make his movie still and didn't have to make the corporate Disney I know film. it's Gareth Edwards, but I really want to say Garth Edwards. Like, I love Garth. <laughs> yeah, because you like Wayne's World a lot. <laughs> uh, EJ, um, I'm willing to sell out at any point in time. So if Disney, Lucasfilm, or Sony Pictures hears any of my ideas in this podcast, so if you want like my Scrooge Office Christmas Party Part 2, if you want me to help you write that film, I can. You can reach me. You can contact me below and all this fun stuff then here on our podcast. Uh, EJ does not want to sell out, so you do not have to contact him. But I will take all your money, people. Uh, well, if, if Warner Brothers wants to pay me for talking very nicely about DC films this year, I would love the paycheck that people love to comment that I'm getting from them. Oh, Ah, uh, that's a whole nother. I can't wait for that to come out. What do, what do we have? What's the next polarizing film to where I'm either going to be said that Marvel's paying me to write good reviews or DC is going to be paying you for good reviews? I love that. Like the internet is so dumb. I know. I God, I wish people. I wish Warner Brothers paid me enough to like the craziness that was Batman v Superman. Can't wait to talk about our end of the year review as well. Oh, that's coming up too. And speaking of internet craziness, and this is just my one little sidebar, but I love that the weather.com, the website, the weather people, they called out Breitbart this week and said, hey, you guys are using our chart because you're paying for it, but you're creating a completely false story around it. So I, I, I love this new, we were in the propaganda world before leading up to the election, but now we're in the like calling bullshit on bullshit realm. And it'll be interesting to see who calls bullshit on us? Nobody, because we're perfect. Yay! Hi, EJ. You have a great weekend. You too, my friend. Hey, Matt, we survived another episode. Oh, no! 
Once again, there are several ways to continue the conversation after the show. Follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots. You can look at all our silly photos on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Sardo. My co-host EJ is also on Twitter at EJ Christ with a K. The biggest compliment we receive is when the subscriber number goes up on Blog Talk Radio. If you have a chance, we would greatly appreciate a review of our show on iTunes. And the best way to listen to the podcast is to go to monkeysfightingrobots.com. Okay, Lunchbox, let's try this again. There are so many people that made the 103rd episode of Monkey Fighting Robots a success. Special shout out to my co-host, DJ Marino, for putting up with me. Yeah, you are very welcome for that because it's hard to deal with you sometimes. Jeff Shade is the creator of our amazing intros and outros. Jessica Wynn designed the Monkey Fighting Robots logo. Are you a monkey or are you a robot? The Staff Official Realm built our website and keeps us up and running. To all my friends, family, and the interweb, thank you very much for your support. I'm Matt Sardo, and this is Monkeys Fighting Robots. Up to 70% off. That's right, at Court Furniture Clearance Center. Get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. All items are court certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.